The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from Philemon, verses 4 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be be to to Christ. Christ. Thanks, Claire Beth. So good morning, everybody. So before I get into the sermon, just a couple of things to let you know of. Uh, There are two things that we're going to work on this summer. Uh, One is we're going to work on tightening our services to an hour and 10 minutes. Just for your scheduling purposes, hour and 10, that's what we're going to go for. And I invite you to encourage us in that direction and hold us accountable if we go an hour and 11 minutes. So Um, The second part of that is that um, if you were here 10 years ago when I first arrived, one of the first things I did was I tried to get as many people as possible from the Christ Press community into a room in various meetings. There were probably 30 to 40 different meetings. Some were very small groups. Some were larger groups. And the purpose is essentially to ask a handful of questions and to hear from the people in the community in terms of the impact of ministry um, things that, what are we doing well uh, from your perspective? What are the opportunities for growth and improvement and strengthening our ministries um, that we have in front of us? And uh, how can we be, um, you know, the best church possible to, to become the kind of place where you can bring your friends uh, because this is exactly what you want them to see and hear and, and it's exactly how you want them to see and hear it uh, in terms of introducing them to the environment of the gospel. And so we're going to be sending out uh, invitations, and we're going to try to accommodate everybody's vacation schedules. I know vacations have already started, um, but there will be several options for you when you're in town unless you're gone for the whole summer. Um, and so what I want to do is ask for 100% participation, 100% yes to all the different kinds of meetings. We'll do some of them between services on Sundays. We'll do some of them at other times. Uh, but we want to hear from y'all, and uh, come the fall, we really want to go for it with some things and, and some really great things that I'm excited to talk about in those meetings over the summer as well. So, so that's the plug. And, uh, and so now uh, back to Philemon. We're on our second second message here of a four-part series, and I'll start this way. Uh, Among the harder things about following Jesus, and there are some hard things, uh, being people of reconciliation is one of the hardest among the hard things. Uh, Because Jesus taught this love ethic that includes, of course, those who are in our inner circles, that we connect well with, friends, family, uh, and so on. But Jesus also was very emphatic that because He gave His own life while we were still opposed to Him, while we were yet sinners, He died for us, um, it is now upon us to live that out relationally as well, to love not only those who are in our inner circle, 
but also even loving our enemies. Scripture tells us that as far as it depends on you, if you're a Christian, live at peace with all people. That includes people who believe as you do. That includes people who don't believe as you do. And um, the really big one, though, which is what we're going to get into today, is where the Bible says, forgive those who hurt you, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgive those who hurt you, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a friend who claimed to be an atheist, but, but he's really a theist. He believes in God. So I pressed him uh, a little bit on, because he was kind of strident in his atheism, and I, I said, listen, like, like, what's going on, man? Like, I did the Shakespeare thing on him, like, you protest too much? Like, something is beneath this, this anger at a God that you think doesn't even exist. And he said, all right, I'll, 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 I'll shoot straight with you. I believe in the existence of God. I actually believe that Jesus was a great teacher. I actually believe that He probably raised from, rose from the dead. But I also recognize that if I go all in with Jesus Christ, that means that I'm going to at some point have to forgive my Father for the things that He did to me. And I can't imagine living in a world that required that of me. So Paul's letter to a slave owner, Philemon, is his best effort to persuade two men, the recipient of the letter and also the slave Onesimus who has escaped from Philemon, to persuade them to move toward each other in love and forgiveness and peace. Now, both of these men had been led into a relationship with Jesus Christ by the Apostle Paul, and so he was kind of the, the middle person, the mediator, the, the, the one to, to try to pull them together and forge a new kind of relationship between them. And so, so both of them, on the receiving end of what the Apostle Paul is urging in this letter, there is a huge ask, a very significant ask of both of these men to set aside how the world does conflict, which is not very well, and instead do the work necessary to win each other's hearts by setting aside your rights in the interest of love and for the honor of Jesus Christ. And so there are, there are three things that Paul urges here in this, in this section of the letter, don't retaliate, instead forgive. Don't stay the same, instead change for love's sake. And then finally, be expectant about what love can accomplish. So, so we'll start there. Don't retaliate, instead forgive. So again, there's, the background here is that Onesimus has escaped from being a slave for Philemon. And now we're told that, that Onesimus is tending to and caring for the needs of the Apostle Paul while the Apostle Paul is under house arrest. He's in prison, and he's become very helpful. But, but in later verses, Paul will say this to Philemon. 
I know that when Onesimus was with you, he was useless on the job. You know, Paul uses that word. He was useless on the job. And I also know that when he escaped, he stole from you. I know these things. And the norm when these kinds of things happened was for there to be a very vicious, harsh, brutal punishment. And slave owners, if they were chapped enough, they actually were given a legal right by Rome to execute an escaped slave. And so what Paul is saying is to Philemon, don't do any of this. For the love of God, don't do any of this. Don't even, when I send him back, and by the way, I, 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 if I had my druthers, I'd, I'd actually keep him here because he's been very helpful to me. He's been very encouraging to me in this isolated place where I am right now. But I'm going to send him back to you for love's sake. But I don't want you to take him back as a slave. I want you to take him back as a brother, as an equal, as part of your inner ring. And I'll just bet you, Philemon, that if you take him back on those terms, the work that he will do for you will be infinitely better than any work that you've experienced from him before, because you'll be as brothers instead of slave master. And so both of them, this kind of instruction from the Apostle Paul might have sparked the memory of a famous parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 15. It's famously known as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, There's this son who essentially demands from his father his inheritance before his father dies, which is just essentially a way of saying, I wish you were already dead, because really what I want is your stuff. I don't really care about you. I want the benefits of being your son without really actually having to be your son. And the father with a broken heart said, have it your way. And so he takes the resources, goes out, squanders it on prostitutes, wild living, etc. And then he finds himself destitute and poor and hungry and starving. And so he comes home, and, and, and this, this son thinks that the only way that his father would ever receive him after what he's done to the family name is on the terms of slavery. And so he pre- prepares this speech, <clears throat> Father, I, I know that I don't, I don't, I, I'm not worthy to be called your son, and so will you please receive me back as a slave? Just make me one of your hired servants. And, and the father then pours out this unexpected uh, and in many ways publicly humiliating expression of lavish love toward this son. He says, don't, don't be talking about slavery. Don't be talking about being anything less than family. You, you were dead and you're alive again. You were lost and you're found. And you know, I'm going to pull out the big green egg and we're going to smoke a, a full pit, a, you know, full fatted calf and we're going to feed the whole community and we're going to celebrate. So Paul's envisioning kind of a repeat in this former slave master situation. And the difference here, though, is the slave Onesimus also has things to forgive, injuries and hurts that he carries. Where do I get that? Well, you, you know the phrase, right? Hurting people hurt people. Like, like when somebody is codependent, when somebody's dysfunctional, when somebody's aggressive, it usually comes, or self-righteous, it, it usually comes from, from, from some kind of wound, you know, it's, it, it's usually the working out of, of, of something hidden that, that, that may be from somebody's past or from somebody's experience, but it's, it's a wound, inner shame, whatever the reason, but hurting people hurt people. And so here's the thing about Onesimus, like, how do you know? There's, is there evidence that he was 
harshly treated? Well, I don't know, but, but putting two and two together, when you escape because to you being a homeless fugitive is a more appealing prospect than staying in your situation, there must be something worth leaving there, I would think. Realize that's conjecture, but, but, but let's run with it for a second. Imagine every day, listen to the way that, that Paul describes Philemon. I know that you're a man who is full of love. You share. You refresh the hearts of other people. Imagine being the slave in that situation where you're watching this man, the, the head of the household, loving, sharing with, and refreshing the hearts of other people. And your role is to support him in doing that as if you were a tool or as if you were a farm animal, as opposed to being a person and a beloved member of the community yourself. But because he's a slave, he's, he's treated like a slave, so much so that he wants to get out, and, and homelessness is a better prospect as he sees it. And so the memory itself of his past experience of being a slave and the thought of going back on some level must have felt demoralizing, must have felt defeating. And so in both instances, forgiving and moving toward the other person on some level, you know, for Philemon it means swallowing your pride, and for Onesimus it meant making yourself vulnerable putting yourself out there with the possibility of being re-injured on some level. And so here I think it's important to acknowledge that, that forgiving somebody is not equal to trusting someone, okay? You can forgive somebody without trusting them. For trust, after, especially after a major injury, trust needs to be rebuilt through a new and trustworthy history before somebody who's injured you is entitled to your trust. It takes time. Forgiveness, immediate. Trust takes time. Especially if, if you've been a doormat to this other person or group, or if, if, if maybe you've been a victim of, 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 of abuse or some form of aggression. You know, sometimes it's wise not even to re-engage the relationship, but in, in those situations where you are re-engaging the relationship, give yourself time. Or, or give the other person time. If, you've, if you're an injuring party, give the other person time to build trust. Don't put rush demands on trust. But to help the situation, what Paul does is he offers himself as a partner to both of them in this reconciliation effort, especially for Onesimus, who stands to lose the most in this situation because of the, the dynamics you know, of, of their former life together. And so, here's what forgiveness is, though. Forgiveness is absorbing prior injury without demanding payback, without insisting that you get your pound of flesh, too, to even the score. Forgiveness is also, in most cases, an openness to the pursuit of a restored relationship and a willingness to take some initiative to do the work to make it happen. 
And here's the thing about the gospel, and, and here's what, what helps me to sympathize with my atheist friend who is also a theist on the whole forgiveness thing. Like, like, whether you're the offended party or the offending party, you're on the hook to take the first step. Matthew 18 says, if somebody sins against you, go and show them their fault. If you don't win them over, bring two or three witnesses with you. If you still haven't won them over and, and you know, reached reconciliation, bring the thing to the church and, you know, let the elders decide the matter. So, if you're an offended party, take the initiative. If you are Notice there's nothing in the instruction there about gossip, about taking your, your issues and concerns to your private little conversations to stir up discord and to discredit the person behind closed doors in the shadows and in the darkness. It says go directly to the person that you feel has violated your trust, directly and privately. And then only if necessary, invite one or two others into the conversation, and only that. And if, if it's still not working, still keep it confined to the leadership of the church. See, there's something in the Ninth Commandment about protecting the reputation even of those who hurt us. And so, the other part is if you're the offender or if, or if, if you sense that somebody thinks you have offended them, it says in Mark 5, leave your gift at the altar and go directly to them and try to work it out with your brother and sister brother or sister. So, don't retaliate, instead forgive, and then secondly, don't stay the same, instead change for love's sake. Verse 6 says, you know, to, you know, this is Paul to Philemon, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is already in us for the sake of Christ. And he says, I commend you in your love for all the saints. What he's saying is, even though you're not right now dispensing love for all the saints, I know it's in your heart. I know that latent potential to love everybody that Jesus has welcomed and to welcome everybody that Jesus has, 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 has welcomed and to invite into your inner circle everybody that Jesus has invited into His inner circle. I know that's already in you because I've seen it. I've seen it play out among your people. But now what I'm calling you to do is take it to the next level. I want you to become like Todd Teller, the kissing pastor, where your, your whole life mission is to make the person in front of you know that they're loved and feel that they are loved and know that they belong and feel that they belong, to love and refresh the hearts of all God's people. Thus far, Philemon's refreshees have included his mentor, Paul, also Timothy, his peer, and also his inner circle, his, his own family members, and the little church that meets in his house. This guy is a love gush to his people. But the message of the letter here is, is that it's time, Philemon, to become a next-level Christian. It's, it's like what Luther talked about. We are always reformed and always reforming. We are never done growing. We are never done. We're, we've never reached completion in, in becoming more and more like Christ in our capacity to love our friends and our enemies and everyone in between. There's always growing left to do. And so, what Paul is calling this man to is a next level kind of love. All of Christ's people, all of the saints, he said, need to experience what he calls sharing. The Greek word there is koinonia. 
which is defined as a fellowship that results from a common faith and a common life among all kinds of people under Christ. Christianity, in other words, so listen to this, students, like how attractive does this sound to you if you're a student? Christianity is an open friend group where everybody's invited and everybody who comes in experiences belonging. Wouldn't that be wonderful if middle school and high school were like that? If you didn't have to be a super jock or, or, or a queen bee in order to feel like you own the place because you are treated in the same way that this man is treating everybody in his, his little micro-community. But what Paul is saying is all of Christ's people, not just some of Christ's people, but all of Christ's people now be- need to become your people because Christianity is an open friend group. Yeah, we're going to sing after the sermon about how, and after the Lord's Supper about how Jesus welcomes the weakest, the vilest, and the poor. So we've talked about the vilest part, right? When a brother sins against you, when, when you, you've done the sinning, here's, here's what Jesus says to do. But the weak and the poor, that, that's also a condition that Onesimus is living under right now in the same way that Paul is living under the conditions of weakness and poverty in prison right now. And, and, and what, what Paul's instruction to Philemon is, you know, a rich free man, is refresh all of God's people. It brings to mind Jesus' teaching about offering a cup of cold water to those that Jesus called the least of these. Now, here's what, here's what people who live in poverty will tell you. So, I lived in New York City for five years. I met a lot of homeless people, had a lot of conversations with homeless people, with real, legit, like, real-life poor people. And person after person after person would say that meaningful refreshment, the most meaningful refreshment is not economic, as you might imagine. In fact, I've had homeless people turn away a $20 bill. Turn it away. And what they'll say, person after person after person, is what's the most meaningful kind of refreshment is that you treat us like humans instead of animals, that you recognize us as your equals in terms of dignity and value and worth. You know, Gandhi was once asked, why do you ride in the third-class car on a train? Like, you're this global leader. You, you, you eat dinner with dignitaries and, and presidents and kings and queens, and yet when you ride the train, you ride in the third-class car. Why is that? And Gandhi's answer was, because there is no fourth class. And that was a statement. And you know that Gandhi, even though he's a Hindu, openly said that he got his humanitarian ethic from, from the life and example and teaching of Jesus Christ. But he said, the reason I became a Hindu is that I couldn't meet a single Christian who lived out the social ethic of Jesus Christ toward the weak and the vile and the poor. So I had to forge my own path. It doesn't have to be that way, Paul is saying to Philemon. In Christ, the circle grows more wide as opposed to more narrow. The narrow path leads to a wide, inclusive, welcoming embrace. Access and approachability should characterize every macro and micro community that claims the name of Christ. 
You know, every Christian and every Christian community is to, to operate a bit like a, like a seed, right? A seed in itself has limitless fruit-bearing potential. Remembering that the fruit of the Spirit is first and foremost love. So, so you are a love tree. It's as if Paul is saying to Philemon, you, you've already sprouted. You're a love tree right now, but, but you are being called to become a love orchard, to provide shade and nourishment and truth and beauty to all of God's beloved people. So finally, be expectant about what, what love can accomplish. So, so there's a civil rights leader named John Perkins. He's still alive. He marched with King. He's in his 90s right now. He was almost beaten to death repeatedly. And he wrote this book recently called Let Justice Roll Down, and here's one of the excerpts there. He says, I'm an old man now, and this is one of my dreams, that my descendants will one day live in a land where people are quick to confess their wrongdoing and forgive the wrongdoing of others and are eager to build something beautiful together. So how, how is it possible for a man who has been through so much and experienced so much injury to, to, to have such energy for non-cynicism and reconciliation and peace? How is it that he has now more white friends than he does black friends? How is that? Where does that come from? Perkins would tell you, I'm a forgiven man much more than I am a victim. I'm forgiven a lot more than I am a victim. And so one of the greatest privileges of my life is to extend forgiveness to individuals and communities that have injured me, inviting them to the dance. You know, it's amazing what a person can become from that forgiven place when they're placed in a climate of love. So here's what I'll close with. Here's what history suggests to us. Here's what history tells us. This man, Philemon, would eventually become the Bishop of Gaza. Y'all know about the Gaza Strip? It's, one of, it's historically one of the most hostile, contentious areas in the entire world. And Philemon, this man, no doubt flowing from all the stuff talked about in this letter, steps in with the ministry of reconciliation in a, in, in a hostile culture as the bishop. But it gets better, you guys. Onesimus, the history books tell us. The escaped slave, Onesimus, later became the bishop of Ephesus, following a young man named Timothy, who was also a protege of the Apostle Paul. And in becoming the bishop of Ephesus, he's becoming the bishop of a prominent church far surpassing his former master, Philemon, in terms of his space and role in the body of Christ. It reminds me of a lyric of one of the wonderful hymns that we get to sing. To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, turns a slave into a child or, as the case may be, into a brother, or, as the case may be, into a bishop, and turns duty into choice. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank You for sending Jesus to humble Himself and to become obedient even to death on a cross that we might be emancipated and set free from ourselves. 
and from sin and from death. From the sins that we commit, from the sins that are committed against us, Lord, you, you have positioned us not to be victims, but instead to be redeemed victors. Lord, thank you that you are both our master and our servant. What wondrous love is this, O oh, my soul, that would cause the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, that I might be, that we might be free indeed, and then extend your offer of freedom to anyone who would receive it. We thank you that we are no longer slaves under Christ, but we are free and we are daughters and sons because of him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.